Welcome to Where There Is Hope. Here we offer inspiration and encouragement from the Bible. With Travis Renfro, I'm John Lindsay. We're glad you're here. Today we're going to take a look at the prodigal son and how we should approach those who turn their back on God and are living in sin. Consider for a moment the state of such individuals. Knowing the good things of God, they have turned their turned their backs on him and are following their own desires for fulfillment. Because they turn from God, they have no interest in hearing about godly things. What what is your natural reaction to someone who writes you off? Uh, anger, frustration, disappointment, and usually I'll reciprocate and write them off. Yeah, I I tend to like uh, burn people if, if I can say that. Like, I don't feel like it happens that often, but you know, when people write you off, your natural response is, "Oh yeah, well I can do that too." Mm-hmm. And you kind of, you know, just, if I can say, erase them from your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but what about when someone writes off God? And that's really what I'd like us to consider is how should we act and how does God act when someone writes him off? And... um as we're thinking about this, while you got this in your mind, what we're going to do is read the parable of the prodigal son from Luke 15 that, that Jesus gives. So I'll go ahead and read this parable. In Luke 15, starting in verse 11, I'm reading from the ESV. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me, and he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young, younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. 
And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So in this parable we have a few, there's a lot we could talk about with this parable. Um, but we really have three different key players in this parable. The prodigal, the father, and the brother. Um, and uh, Travis, what do you think the main point of this parable is? And this is a little off the cuff, but what do you think the main point of this parable is? Well, I think one of the things that jumps out at first is the recognition that these three are family. Um, this is the prodigal son. There is this relationship. And so when we are trying to decipher the meaning of this for for the Christian church, for that family, I think it should be easy to recognize that we're talking about a fellow Christian uh, in the prodigal son who who makes this choice, who makes this decision to go out and, and go his own way, uh, and it doesn't go well for him. Ultimately, it's, it's a story about forgiveness um, and how easily one individual forgives and how difficult it is for another. That was a great summary. In this parable, the prodigal son can represent anyone um, who's made a foolish decision. And we all have, right? We've all been there. We've all made stupid decisions. And I really appreciate that you brought up that this is a family because you have two brothers and a father. And um, that really relates well to what we're talking about. So some questions I'd like to ask of this parable just for our, our discussion. Why does the father prematurely give his son the portion of the inheritance? And this is a this is a tougher question, I know, and I don't know that there's a, a right answer here. But what are your thoughts? I agree. It's a difficult question, um, and so I I'll offer you know what I what I see in this, and it sort of moves forward into the application principle. But um, if I look at this this parable, I consider the father to obviously be God. Uh, this son is given the gift of free will. He's given the choice uh, to go out with you know, whatever abilities and faculties and, and enablement and enable enablings <laughs> enablings I guess um, that he can have and go do what he chooses with it. Um, and I think that's similar to how God treats us. You know. Every individual human being in the world can do whatever he wants or whatever she wants. Um, and sometimes we choose good and sometimes we choose evil and sometimes it goes well and sometimes it goes poorly. Uh, but I, that's the way that I see that. Do you have a similar interpretation? No, that's a, that's a very good summary of how I see it um, as well. That this is a representation of man's free will. And when you think of free will, I don't want to spend too much time on this topic, but free will is all-inclusive. 
It's the reason for evil in the world. It's the reason for good in the world. And it's because man has the, the choice to choose the good thing or choose the evil thing. And um, here this, this uh, son has the choice that's given to him by the father to take his possessions and to go and live his life. And um, I think it's, I, I bring this up because I do think it's important for us to remember that no one's being forced to do these things. This is, this is something that they've chosen to do. They've chosen to walk away and go and live this life. And so as we study this topic, we need to keep that in mind that um, Christians who have turned their back on God and walked away, it was their choice. They're, they're pursuing their own interests, and um, it's something that they were, never, they were never locked into Christianity. They had that option to mm-hmm. walk away at any time, and um, that's part of the beauty of it as well is that God, has, God doesn't want slaves um, that have no choice but to follow him. He wants willing servants who uh, choose to follow him out of love for him, and that's um, part of this. Part of this as well. So, some other questions I've got: um, Why does the son spend all his wealth the way that he does? That's Sorry. a good answer. <laughs> why does he want to? I, you know, he's selfish, um, and he's he's human in that way. You know. One of the things I think is interesting about this parable is, is, and one of the ways we can misinterpret it, is we would look at the world, and we would look at someone who makes this decision, and we see people who leave God. Uh, we all have seen people who leave God. And, but they don't always squander everything. Not everything's always lost. Because we look at it from an earthly wealth perspective. Like Some people may leave the Lord and be incredibly successful in business or in, uh, in whatever pursuit they're going after. And we're like, well, that doesn't really apply to the prodigal son, but it does, because what this, uh, what a Christian is squandering when they leave the Lord is not, you know, earthly opportunity. They're squandering eternal opportunity. Um, and so for this this child, this son, he's swapping this temporary, he's swapping what he had that was permanent and good and lasting for this temporary thrill or entertainment. So when we're considering, like you brought up, when we're considering this parable, it's all, it, you see um, he squanders his earthly wealth, and it's hard for us to reconcile that sometimes with the examples that we see in the world. And I, I think in general it's just hard for us sometimes to see eternal things, especially when it comes to this kind of thing. To see someone who's turned their back on God, they've they've lost all of that eternal wealth based on the decisions they've made, and that's hard to really wrap back into. Um, you know, we we might see that they've done something that's made them very wealthy or whatever, and that that's a difficult thing to reconcile. Um, so it says that the father sees him far off and then runs to him. What can you infer about the father if he sees him far off? Yeah, that he was looking for him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he saw him, and not only did he see him, but he recognized him. So you get this impression that he was expecting him or looking for him. Um, okay. 
And what, why does the father run to the son? Because not only does he see him, he runs to him and meets him on the way. Well, he doesn't run out to confront him. He doesn't run out to punish him. I mean, when, as soon as he gets to him, he embraces him. Um, he meets him you know, with, with his arms open and ready to receive him back. Uh, it's a very graceful reception that he has for his son. Yeah, I appreciate that you pointed those things out, the things that he doesn't do, too. But yeah, he runs to him because he loves him. Shows grace and love. And and then the last part that we see of this parable is this brother who has stayed with his father the whole time, and he's got this very sour attitude. And why is his, why is his attitude wrong? In your opinion, I yeah. know that's a that's a tough question. That's kind of broad. It is. Um, um, what are some things that are wrong with his attitude? If I can say that. First of all, he I think he's misappropriating the sin here, um, and what I mean by that is, the brother is deeply offended, and and his his brother, the prodigal son who has left, hasn't done anything to his brother. He hasn't wronged his brother at all. Um, he has sinned against his father. But when you see the brother's reaction, verse 30 just leaps off the page at me when he says, when this son of yours came, he doesn't say when my brother came back. He looks at his dad and says, when this son of yours came, this so-called son who I wouldn't spit on if he was on fire, when he came, you gave him all these things. And the father replies in 32, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead. He corrects him. Uh, and his attitude. So that's one of the first things I see is this: the brother is misappropriating the the guilt or the the offense. He's taking making it about him, and it's not about him. It's not about him. That's great. I had never noticed that. That's very interesting that you pointed that out. That he doesn't call him his brother, and then the dad turns it on him and says, "He's your brother." And maybe that's the problem is that he's he's written him off and he's like, he's not my brother anymore. He's mm-hmm. just your son. He's not my brother. And um, so, you know, taking all this and trying to get some application out of it, what should our attitude be towards a person who's walked away from God? How does Jesus present God's attitude here towards sinners in this parable as he tells it. I mean, if you think of some of the things that we talked about, the father is loving towards the son. He's ready and waiting to take him back. He's looking out for him, expecting him to come back. Well, in this story, Jesus never gives any indication that their relationship is severed. You know, even as this prodigal is left, and again, you know, you see the brother and his attitude um, but the prodigal son is still a son, and the father is still a father. Uh, and their relationship has not ended because the son has made these selfish decisions and, and squandered this wealth and all, the, all these horrible mistakes he's made. Uh, it's, they're still a family relationship. So the first thing I think about in application is, is for Christians, um, you know, within your church, there are going to be people who do this. 
And they don't cease being brothers or sisters because they are in sin. They still have a familial relationship to you. And we tend to want to write them off um, as soon as they do that. And again, they're not even sinning against us. They're sinning against the Father. And, and it's, it's right to be offended by that. And it's right to be upset by that. But if the Father, the Father gets to set the terms, I guess. And so if the Father's willing to say, I'll forgive this behavior, we can't say, no, we won't. Yeah. I often think about example for prayer that Jesus gives when they, the disciples are asking him how they should pray. One of the things that he says is, Father, forgive us our trespasses just as we have forgiven others. Mm-hmm. And that always uh, that hangs in my mind quite a lot for things like this, where, um, you know, have you truly, are you truly ready to forgive someone like this? And uh, yeah, we, t- we take it so personal sometimes, though. Mm-hmm. When we someone do. walks away, they, you know, it's like you said, they're walking away from God. But we, we almost see it like they've betrayed us. And, you know, God's, God's ready and willing to take them back, so why, mm-hmm. why aren't we? Well, I think you set the tone for this entire conversation whenever, before we even started reading the parable, you, you, the question you asked is, what about someone who writes off God? Um, and that's the right question. They're not writing off the church, and they're not writing off, you know, you, they're writing off God, and that's the problem. Um, a, a person divorcing himself or herself from a, from a body, from a church, may or may not affect their salvation. They may be able to go somewhere else, worship somewhere else, you know, or whatever. But if they turn their back on God, then they're in deep trouble, uh, and that's really the problem. But again, we see that God has sufficient grace here, and, and thinking on that, uh, on that grace angle... And I've, and I've heard this in diff- from different people in different places, members of our church, different preachers I listen to. We have no problem accepting that God has plenty of grace for every lost sinner. Everyone out in the world, God has sufficient grace for you. But boy, once you're part of this church, hey now, now it's a different standard. We act as if gra- grace has run out for those members of our church and we hold them to such a strict standard. And Again, we, it's right to have the expectation of, an, of changed and transformed behavior, but it's not right to deny grace to someone because they've become a Christian already. That, that is a, we could go a long, long way down a road of how wrong that is and how destructive that can be. That's a great point. Everybody deserves grace, even those who... Uh... You may think are, are uh, I don't want to say above it, but uh, those who have already received it, mm-hmm. sometimes we think it's a one and done, mm-hmm. and that's not the case at all. So if we have a lost brother who is returning to us, then John, what is, what's the right balance? Is it, you know, ignoring what they have done that is wrong, or... Or what is it? What's the right? How's the right? What's the right way for us to approach someone who's returning back to us? Like this prodigal comes back here. Um, thank you for posing that question. Um, well, first thing, get the chip off your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're coming back and they're repenting of their sin, and it, so the, the important part of all this, we're not excusing their sin here. 
um, of course they have to make changes in their life. But when they're ready to come back, get the chip off your shoulder, be ready and waiting for them, looking out for them, ready to accept them back, run to them with open arms, um, show them love, show them mercy. You don't need to chastise them. You know, this is something we don't see here. The father doesn't say, do you know what you did to me? You know all the money you spent? Mm -hmm. He doesn't even mention it. No, he uh, celebrates. He I mean, celebrates, yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a party. <laughs> and um, so applying that back to your question, um, be happy, celebrate with this person that they've, they've made a change in their life, and you don't need to bring up the problems that they've... They know what they've done is wrong. They've mm -hmm. repented of that. They've come away from that. They know that you know mm -hmm. <laughs> what they did was wrong. And uh, you don't need to go through the details of things. So, uh, good thoughts. Thank you for that question. That was a great, yeah, that was a great, uh, great question. So, I hope these have been some encouraging thoughts for you and that you're able to make some applications in your life and the way that you treat others. Any closing thoughts? No, sir. All right. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us where there is hope. It is our goal to share the hope and joy that we find in scriptures with you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can email us at wtihope at gmail.com. Lamentations 3.24, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him.